Abolition. Abolition. I ain't grab dodging, I ain't burning no flag, and I ain't running to Canada. I'm saying right here, you want to send me to jail? Fine, you go right ahead. I've been in jail for 400 years. I could be there for four or five more. But I ain't going those 10,000 miles to help murder and kill other poor people. If I want to die, I'll die right here, right now, fighting you. If I want to die, you my enemy. Not no Chinese, no Viet Cong, no Japanese. You my poser when I want freedom. You my poser when I want justice. You my poser when I want equality. You want me to go somewhere and fight for you? You won't even stand up for me right here in America. For my rights and my religious beliefs. You won't even stand up for me right here at home.
Abolition today. You just heard a clip from Muhammad Ali regarding his conscientious objection to being drafted into the U.S. military, followed by the OJs. Give the people what they want. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. What's going on, Max? Peace, Brother Yusuf. As always, I'm right here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, streaming live. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So last week, we were joined by our longtime comrades in the slavery abolitionist movement, Scotty Reed, Tag Harmon. Otis Griffin, and Brother Yohanan, who all go back to the days of New Abolition Radio and the Black Talk Radio Network. This week, we're two days away from the February 9th, 2021 Abolish Slavery National Network quarterly meeting and one month post-Confederate insurrection. It's all interconnected like a time rhyme, but in this moment, the abolitionists are writing the script. The last quarterly preceded the abolition of slavery in Utah and Nebraska, and everything we touched turned to gold. Helping abolition uh, amendments pass in six states, three months later we're about to top that and make U.S. history. Forewarned is forearmed. Hear it first here at Abolition Today. And of course we got dope music, spoken word, and the voices of our ancestors reclaimed with our Bridging the Gap segment. So let's get started. Uh, Max, what do you think about the clip from our brother, Muhammad Ali? Dude, man, this is Abolition Today style. It started off, and everybody is listening. I, I know they was bobbing their heads and probably singing along with it, like, get the people what? Get the people what? Because, yeah, this is what we want, what Ali was saying, and you don't let us have that. You know, we, our rights are not protected in the way everybody else's rights are protected, you know? The Sixth Amendment for us is a myth. The Eighth Amendment for us is never defended. None of that ever seems to happen. So what do the people want? They want freedom from this. <laughs> I thought it was powerful, man. I know I'm I'm fired up. How about you? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, before we get into tonight's program and to uh, caveat onto what you just said, I want to set the tone with a quote. And it's what, you know, many people have heard me mention a portion of this quote many times on our broadcast. But I was able to actually find the entire quote because I never had the quote in its entirety. And I want to uh, read this quote. Nobody can give you freedom. Nobody can give you equality or justice or anything. If you're a man, you take it. Our objective is complete freedom, justice, and equality by any means necessary. If you're not ready to die for it, put the word freedom out of your vocabulary. You can't separate peace from freedom because no one can be at peace unless he has his freedom. And, of course, that's from our brother, El-Hajj Malik El-Shabazz, Rahimahullah, uh, a.k.a. Malcolm X. So I wanted to start off with Max. What do you think about that? Yo, that's exactly what we needed to hear from the beginning. The title of today's episode is Taking Liberties. And it's really a triple entron day because, uh, first of all, you have these insurgents out here 
uh, which are basically racist white supremacists that have been fueled by misinformation and miseducation and all the different things that make people nuts. Or it could just be generational hate passed down from slave owner to slave uh, owner and on and on. In, in, in any case, um, you know, we know that we have to deal with them almost every single day. And uh, we have been trying to, in this program right here tonight, you're going to see, a put, see us put all the pieces together like a puzzle. It's going to come together real nice. And it's taking liberties, triple entron day. You've got the insurgents taking liberties. You've got the police taking our liberties. And then you've got us taking our liberties. Because we are definitely doing that, particularly with what's about to happen February 9th. Uh, February 9th coming up is our quarterly Abolish Slavery National Network meeting. Uh, it is going to say it's going to be epic is I think is understated. <laughs> you know, um, right, we're starting off right. with royalty speaking on behalf of the United Nations. Uh, so the Queen Mother of Benin will be speaking and uh, then we'll have representation from the federal level who will be speaking, uh, uh, particularly uh, Senator Jeff Merkley and his office will be represented. And then we're going to have the state representatives come in and they're going to speak on the status of their states they need and whatever else they're going to be say, saying. They got like three to five minutes each are going to be, you know, speaking for a while. But the unifying thing is everybody that's involved is involved in ending slavery legally through the U.S. Constitution, as well as bringing attention to this for-profit system of incarceration that has grown to global proportions. Um, so it's it's epic, man. I can't wait to see this with my own eyes. I never thought I'd see the day. And while we're doing that, the 10 states that are speaking all have legislation already in play. So th- this isn't organizing. They've got the legislation already in play, whether it be uh, like New York has the right legislation that has to be approved, or like in Texas where it will be a voter initiative and you can vote to get it done in November. But that's they all have that done. There's like 15 other states that are organizing to do the same exact thing by 2022. We're talking about if you add on the states that have already abolished slavery since 2018, we're talking about 30 states involved in slavery abolition in 2021. Yusuf? Yeah, and that's amazing. And, you know, it, it should not go unstated, you know, the tremendous work that's put in by the Abolished Slavery National Network and especially the uh, – the what, what what do you call your group, Max? The state, oh, operations? state operations. Is that what it's state operations? State, yeah, operations state operations. You and Dennis and Savannah and all the other people that are involved with that because that's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to get this done in one state. And here, what was it? Just a few months ago, we were like three states, four states, <laughs> yeah, was, and you know now the numbers have grown. Yeah. Yeah, the numbers have grown astronomically, and pretty soon we'll be at all 50 states. You know? Right. So and I just we also have the federal resolution. We also have the federal resolution that's on the table. It's being resubmitted again through this new Congress, but that's uh, put in to uh, take the caveats out for slavery. So there'll be no exception in the federal constitution. And all this is happening simultaneously right under people's noses. The press ain't talking about it. They don't see it. But in the halls of politics, this is the talk of the town. You know, we're, I'm literally hearing from them personally. And those people will see on February 9th exactly what we're talking about. Um, as far as inviting people to come see it, it's not a public event. Basically, uh, we'll have to send you an email. 
make sure you sign up at the website at abolishslavery.us. Abolishslavery.us. Sign up at the website for so you can be on our, our email listing. That way you get these invites uh, to events like this where you can see history unfold with your own eyes. All right? Um, Yusuf? Yeah, and, you know, just going back to the last one that we had, you know, which was so dynamic just to see so many people around the, the country because when you're in this type of work, you know, sometimes you feel lonely, you know, because it's like, man, you know, this is so huge, but so many people are just ignorant of everything that's going on. And when you start talking to them, and especially some of the people who are in the uh, the uh, educational world and they carry all kinds of long titles behind their name, you know, we get a lot of pushback. You know, I recall when you and I were in Columbus, Ohio, and we went to the, you know, the Martin Luther King Center, and the director there, you know, sort of like was looking down her nose at us, and we were talk, talking about, you know, slavery still being legal in the United States. And, you know, of course, you know, like normally you would do, you kind of like dragged her down the hall. <laughs> 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 Correcting mm. her. There's been so many changes made because I decided to speak, uh, you know, authoritatively to other people who thought they knew it all, you know. But there was something about that museum in Ohio that had me on edge travel to. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. things we saw there was a sign, a huge sign about eight feet long, maybe six feet high that said, uh, the color of your white skin is not a privilege. Neither is your black skin. And I was like, what? Like, what? what, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah I, I, I remember that. Like that. I think we, I, I, I think I took a photo of you and uh, Tribal like in tribal. front of that. Yeah, yeah, in front of it. Yeah. So yeah. There was some, I just couldn't believe it. It, it. it was some craziness. And and that's the problem. Miseducation is a part of the theme of tonight. You know, uh, it's a huge problem. And it's not just the populace who's miseducated. Uh, and don't even know their own rights under the Constitution, let alone what it is they're supposed to be having protected. Uh, But it applies also to those who swear an oath to defend the Constitution. They don't know what it says either. And uh, in many instances, they harbor thoughts and ideas that are very dangerous and wrong, completely wrong. And no one's ever tried to correct them on these thoughts. And so they fester and grow just like we saw with the cute phenomenon did. And you know what I'm talking about is the the hate, the discrimination, the race, uh, all of these things. And it's so commonplace among them from the top down. Like, if you don't understand whether or not black people can be racist or not, you really shouldn't be a cop. (laughs) Like, this is a basic thing you need to understand because if you think that somehow – Black people can oppress you <laughs> by what they right. do. Yeah, you're lost. You, you need to be taught correctly. And they're not getting this type of teaching. And they're coming from environments where they were already pushed into racism. Uh, and we got some, you know what? I don't even need to tell everybody how it works out. I got somebody better at me, better at mm-hmm. this than me, to tell you how it goes down. Right, Yusuf? Yes, you do. Let's make so, it happen. All right, let's 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 go ahead and do that. Let's make this happen. Abolition. 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 This country specializes in vilifying black and brown folks. Let's just be clear. The president picked that 
narrative about gang activity deliberately because he's picking that narrative to explain, uh, you know, our Hispanic, mainly Hispanic on the southern border, sisters and brothers. He doesn't use that same narrative with other immigrants in this country. Even when he made the country comment, he was talking about countries and nations of color. So let's not delude ourselves. This is a deliberate narrative that the president has used. It is a deliberate policy that his administration has put in place to dehumanize black and brown people in this country, and it plays to a certain segment look, 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 of this look, country. Look, 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 I do look forward to the midterm pitch that uh, the United States of America specializes in vilifying black and brown people. I do not well, think that they would work do. for Democrats. They but do. Take it to the polls. Take no, it to the we will take enjoy. it to the polls, but yeah. the history of this country, enjoy. too. How many examples would you like me to give you about you can, how this you country can give specializes in that? This is not you a know great, what? This is not a next great year, uh, pitch. Six, 16, 19. Next year, 1919, it'll be 400 years since the first Africans were brought to this continent as slaves. So it's not a pitch, it's a reality in this country. And the fact that you're taking such a cavalier attitude about the suffering of black and brown people in this country is appalling. No, it's absolutely appalling. Are you trying to say that this country does not specialize in racism and bigotry? I am saying that racism exists. I am saying that the United States But you have the luxury, you have the luxury to be cavalier about it. But people, my folks don't have the luxury I, I think of being cavalier about it. I think the fact your point. I mean, no, you I don't understand my point because you never cavalier. lived a day in my shoes or the shoes of my ancestors. This is not a political pitch, This is reality. The United States of America is the freest country on the face of the earth and gives yeah, the with most all opportunity. Kind of oppression. I know that, but gives the most opportunity possible see, to see, brand you, us You're talking about this through a political lens. I'm talking about I this through a light lens. I'm not saying that Republicans have a monopoly on racism and bigotry. What I'm saying is that we have become numb to some of the very real challenges in this country that are being exacerbated by this president. But he didn't He didn't invent racism. I'll be the first one to say that. But to have people who are not black and brown to be cavalier around this panel, I am highly offended. Okay, well, I am just highly offended by this. All I'm asking is that we don't make it only that. The United States no, of America not is not, about, it's not, not just only about only that. that. Only but that is part of it. That was all I was saying. Would this country, did this country enslave Africans? I did this country take away the land of the Native Americans? I did this point, country Donald have Jim Crow and black codes? That's not in my imagination. No, it's and, not. And still, there are articles that are being written right now that still says that it'll take about 228 years for the average African-American to catch up with the wealth of the average white person but, but, in this country. And we all have to care about it. So it is race and it is class. But to say that the country, our country, The country America, was founded on America racism and bigotry, David, but, but and it does. America specializes. Black in men are being shot. No. By, oh, my Lord. It specializes in it. Abolition. Wow, that was Nina Turner who calls out racist CNN panel. Max, I'll let you go first on this one, man. So much to unpack from that. She's basically saying that this country is built on racism, discrimination, and slavery. It is. Like, how is it hard? You, you can't deny it even to this day with the largest prison population that have ever existed on planet Earth, where only 4% of the population make up nearly 40% of the prison population. And the theme that they have in common is the color of their skin, where you're literally selling people on the open market in the form of jail bonds and prison stocks. 
uh, where you have overseers and slave catchers and an assembly line of flesh and bone called the justice system that completely violates all of our constitutional rights systemically, just like they do with the Sixth Amendment, where 95% of all cases never even make it to trial, where uh, prosecutors, which are 95% white and 83% white men, are uh, convicting people through plea bargains just about every single time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, man. you know, hey. I was going to say, you know, we can tie it in historically, you know, just the proof. You know, we don't have to, it's not just mere words, but all we got to do is look at the history of what happened in the country. And it'll show us that time and again, <laughs> over and over and over again, they did the same thing. So this is not just us looking through some type of like little peephole, you know, in current events. We can go all the way back to the birth of the nation itself and see what they did from day one and what they continue to do uh, 200 plus years later. Or 400 plus years later What would we talk 1492 They claiming they got here You know yeah, they, We can say 1619 But it didn't start in 1619 You know right. We can say it started When they got here <laughs> yeah, From day and, one Because they enslaved Indigenous people When they got the, here So it started the there first, It started The first letter that Columbus sent out Back to the, the homeland To the queen was that they could enslave as many of them as they want because they didn't even know what swords were. And she gave right. one, they almost hurt themselves. So they could enslave as many of them as they want. Right. That sets the intent right there. And then when you start uh, adding in the doctrine of discovery and uh, manifest destiny and all of these things, it reeks of racism <laughs> all the way back to day one. So, yeah, when you say... And in fact, we played the clip last week, even from Annalise Keating from How to Get Away from Murder, how to how to get away with murder when she was in front of the Supreme Court, and she said the same thing. You know, racism is built into the fabric, into the DNA, DNA. of the United mm-hmm. States, and it's and it's real. And deny anyone it's not going to change it. Get, they just they just delusional if they deny it. It's it's a delusion to say racism is not built into the. Uh, DNA of the United States Especially you know When we have uh, people going around Telling us stuff like this If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble We would have picked our own fucking cotton You know what I'm saying lady <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know what I'm saying <laughs> When people like can that. call into shows And make comments like that That tells you what they really think So, yeah, so got to give the people what they want Man she 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 nailed it, uh, and she nailed it passionately because, uh, and remember, this was to the liberal squad that she was talking to, CNN, and you know right. we constantly tell people that racism isn't limited to to Republicans. The Democrats right. actually were the ones that created slavery and maintained it all the way up until you know the late sixties, early seventies. So mm-hmm. it's just been a switch around. So thinking that just because there's a D next to your name, you're incapable of racism is ridiculous. But they don't even understand what race is. They don't understand racism as a system, nor what race itself is. And race is another illusion. It's been proven that it, it was based on, you know, psychobabble and uh, right. 
It was created specifically to justify the enslavement of Africans and the genocide and land theft of Native Americans while abusing those from Asia. So it was created for that reason, but we adopted it and claimed it and made it our own to the point where we was like, black power, white power, you know? But we never bothered to think that that's not a universal thing because although there's supposed to be five races of man, don't no politician ever come out and say, what do yellow people want? You don't hear that. You know, right. no politician come out talking about what the red people want, what the brown what the people want. Wants. It always falls down to just black or white, despite the fact that there's supposed to be five of them, right? Right. So, yeah, right. She, she nailed it. And the miseducation in this uh, fashion where you don't understand race, you don't understand racism, you can't even think outside of the box of your individual contributions and see a collective whole working, can't see out of that, uh, and you've got these deep-seated hatreds and discriminatory ideas and bigotry, and then often we find that many of them are not only involved in politics, because we see how it is right now with the Republican Party, but they're also involved in the military and deeply involved in policing. 90% of all sheriffs are white men, and many of them right. are racist, bigoted bastards who think they're king of the world. Uh, right. So, as a matter of fact, i got a I got a little collection here I put together today, um, and it's just about Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, the sheriff out there, David Beth, and the series of events that have happened in the past year, uh, just in Kenosha, Washington, I mean, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And it really shows through this microcosm how the whole country is thinking and operating and functioning. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into much detail pre- before we play it. Uh, if you have any comments about the Nina Turner thing, we'll go to that. If not, we'll play this Kenosha Washington and then talk about that. I just wanted to make one uh, comment, just stating that uh, Nina is a con- is a candidate for the 2021 Ohio 11th Congressional District this year. So just want to put that out there. And, you know, a, a, a Nina is a friend to the room, you know, so just wanted to shout her out and put that out there. Because I know we well, have listeners in Ohio. I can't advocate for any uh, politicians at this point in time because of my position as the acting director of the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, 501c3. But Correct. I will say that she understands racism, and that's a positive. All right. So Absolutely. Let's go ahead and listen to what's going, over in, going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and what's been happening. You'll see the, how the series of events unfold. Just listen closely. If you want to take notes, do that, too. We'll be right back. This is Abolition Today. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Once I deputize somebody, they fall under the Constitution of the State of Wisconsin. They fall under the County of Kenosha. They fall under my guidance. They have to follow my policies. They have to follow my supervisors. They are a liability to me and the county in the state of Wisconsin. And breaking news now, a Polk County deputy in big trouble tonight. Sheriff Grady Judd just wrapped up a press conference explaining that he had to arrest one of his own for threats related to the violence in Washington, D.C. Our Polk County Bureau reporter, Stacey Silva, has that story for us. 
Keith, the sheriff, just finished briefing us a couple minutes ago. He called this press conference just quickly after this man was arrested. He has been booked this evening. His name is 29-year-old Peter Hanin. He is a deputy here at the Polk County Sheriff's Office. He's accused of having a disturbing conversation with a fellow deputy the night of the Capitol riot. The sheriff did read off some messages Hanin allegedly sent that night, including threats against federal agents. The sheriff said Hanin wrote the streets should run red with the blood of tyrants. The FBI is corrupt, and he wanted to kill them all. Sheriff Judd said there was no evidence to show he planned to go to D.C. at any time or that he was a part of any militia group. The deputy he was chatting with turned the conversation over to his superiors at the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Some of the investigation is still ongoing, but as you can well imagine, having him arrested, it was important. Having him arrested before Inauguration Day was even more important. Sheriff Judd made the point tonight it's important to police the community. It's also important to police his own deputies. Hanin is now suspended and in jail. He's written, uh, he's facing a charge of written threats. He served here at the sheriff's office for six and a half years. Reporting live in Polk County, I'm Stacey De Silva, 8 on your side. Watch this. And I'm to the point that I think society has to come to a thresh threshold where there's some people that aren't worth saving. We need to build warehouses to put these people into it and lock them away for the rest of their lives. At some point, we have to get to, to the point that we've locked these people up. We, we have an agent assigned to each and every person that goes through the court system. And if they can't complete high school, if they get in trouble at high school, if they have a criminal record, if they do drive-by shootings, if they uh, sell or give heroin to other people, if they come and steal thousands of dollars, if we don't think this costs society and the people of our community and our nation, if, it, if we don't think that that costs us billions of dollars, you're wrong. Let's put them in jail. Let's, let's stop them from truly, at least some of these males, going out and getting 10 other women pregnant and having small children. Let's put them away. At some point, we have to stop being politically correct. And I don't care what race, I don't care how old they are. If there's a threshold that they cross, these people have to be warehoused. No recreational time in the jails. We put them away. We put them away for the rest of their lives so that the rest of us can be better. In this country, in this community, in this state, we have to get to the point that we no longer will put up with the garbage people that fill our communities that are our cancer to our society. The ones that do uh, carjackings in Milwaukee, they go into a car while their child is in the back seat because it's running and they're filling up with gas. These people are not an asset to society. These people just need to flat out go away. Now, also today, Lakeisha Bookers, Jacob Blake's fiance, says she was with her three young kids, ages eight, five, and three, and with Blake. She says she did not call the police and that Blake was unarmed. They didn't even know the kids was in the car. And I'm telling the woman cop, I'm like, can you please get, get back before I shoot you? Get back. Like, these officers is handled like, shoot me. My kids is in the car. We just shoot them. With the kids in the back screaming. That don't make no sense that you treat somebody like that. Who are armed, not giving you no problem. He ain't throwing no touch or nothing. 
at tonight, Slate remains in serious condition at Frederick Hospital in Milwaukee. And tonight, the Wisconsin Department of Investigation says they will conduct a swift investigation of this case. Reporting live tonight in Kenosha, Mike Lowe, WGN News. Abolition. 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 All right, you just heard uh, what's going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, with Sheriff David Beth. Uh, started off, as you heard him being clear, what his deputies do and think is his responsibility. It's his policy. They follow mm-hmm. his lead. And then one of, one of his deputies suddenly decided that the people that was working with them, the FBI and so on, all needed to die. Then it became a problem. But as you heard, this very same sheriff, David Beth, went on his old little tirade about exactly what people he thinks needs to die. So what he was thinking was being absorbed by those under his command, and they redirected it, and that was a problem. But he was like, these are garbage people. We need to warehouse them forever. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was very clear that he thinks it's genetic because he was like, we can't have my here making babies because the babies going to be do, doing the same damn thing. Um, right. Making 10 babies. And, you know, we've heard this narrative so many times from mayors and governors and police about how we make 10 babies and they're all going to be criminals, right? Uh, so right. The, it was just dripping genocide and racism and even torture. You know, he wanted to make a point of saying uh, no, what was it? No activities, no outside activities, no extracurricular right. activities. Just nothing. warehouse just them. Just box. warehouse them. Just yeah, just warehouse cool. them. Right. And, and and then talk about what his deputies uh, uh, aren't doing. Uh, and then you heard the final results of this, which is human costs. These ideas, these thoughts, uh, these beliefs that people hold so damn dear that have no uh, place in reality are causing real people to die. So Jacob Blake shot in the back by the same uh, police that's under this man who just said what you heard him say about garbage people. Who are disposable people? You kill them and they, you know, forget about it. They don't need names. They're just a bunch of right. kids made by genetically inferior people. His, uh, the mother of his children, told her firsthand yeah. witness that testimony of what happened to her by those damn cops that are influenced by Sheriff David Beth. Man, I better, I better zip it a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it it was it was tough. Her name was Lakeisha Booker, Lakeisha and it was Booker. just tough hearing, you know, her speak. That was that was tough, and you know, of course, the the track that all of this was playing on top of sort of like sums it up for me. <laughs> you know, FTP yes. man, FTP forever. Speaking of that, I want to make a disclaimer. I meant to say that earlier on, but we're going to say the title of that track that was playing, the music was Fuck the Police. And Mm -hmm. uh, this is a PG-13 rated show. We do not censor the artists in the music or the poetry or the speakers. If I get those speakers saying what they said raw, like you just heard him or there's a couple of sheriffs talking about murdering somebody, I don't want to delete none of it. No, I don't want to censor none of it. This is right. really happening, and we need to understand that. This is an educational show. So we'll look like edu- you know, censoring anything on this educational show. So that's our disclaimer. Back to you, bro. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this, this is not unique to him. 
we can play examples of this all over the country. I mean, if we can just – what was the one article? You and I have this one article, and I know we were going to cover it and uh, other news later on in the broadcast, but we have the very person who's the head of the NYPD anti-discrimination uh, unit getting caught having uh, a racist meltdown. <laughs> you know, what, did you get a chance to read that article? Uh, I'm trying to find it on our list right now. Uh, so go ahead and tell well, us no, about it. Don't worry. I, I have it up. So it mentions of how an investigation found him guilty of posting racist comments, lying to investigators, impeding the investigation, wrongfully divulging department information on the message board, and improperly using police equipment. Detail, details on the Clouseau profile match Cobill's real-life background, including the dates his parents died and that he joined the NYPD in June 1992. Among Cobill's online posts under the handle were comments calling former President Barack Obama a Muslim savage, deeming a black district attorney a gap-toothed wildebeest, and describing NYC Mayor uh, Bill de Blasio's son, his black son, as a Brillo head. You know, his misconduct was so egregious, this is what they're claiming in the New York Times, was so egregious and so contradicts the values of this department that ultimate accountability was essential. Though Cobra will keep his pension, his police union is crying foul that he wasn't able to get away with an easy retirement. <laughs> so even on top of all of this, the union is like, well, look, you know, uh, give him a slap on the wrist and let him retire. You know, and this is the person who's supposed to be the watchdog over the, the NYPD, which is the second largest police force in the country. So, you know, the old saying, who will guard the guards? And here's the yeah. classic example, because you have the person who's supposed to be the one overseeing racism within the department. He gets caught in the racist rant and making racist posts. That's what I'm saying. That's we're hearing from police chiefs t- today talking about this. It's it's from the top down. It's an ideology. It's a belief system, and there's no test that they take. You know, officers I believe are uh, forced to uh, have their guns checked a couple times a year, right? Uh, to recertify mm-hmm. their guns a couple times a year, right? But they're not checked at all to see if they have uh, any extremist views that they've been expressing publicly. That that doesn't happen. Check the gun, but don't check the man or the woman. Right. <laughs> like, well, what right. is up with that? The gun ain't killing nobody. It's the person that's doing it. Right. So, you know, yeah, it's pretty rough, and it's a deep-seated miseducation, misrepresentation of the world around them that leads to real deaths and real torture, particularly when you have these people in charge and running around with guns and determining who and who isn't criminals. How can you even be the judge of that? I have reported from uh, this position as uh, the person discussing this topic now for over a decade on the radio alone on many police chiefs who were later found out to be drug dealers, pimps, uh, murderers, wife abusers, so many uh, police chiefs and even policemen of the year. New York had a policeman right. of the year, got caught doing drug deals with Columbia. <laughs> like, oh, he's a policeman of the year. But 
You're right, brother. It does spread all across the country. And we've got another example of it I want to move into. Uh, remember when okay. Rashad Brooks was murdered, right, uh, in Atlanta? Well, in yes. Georgia, uh, in Georgia, the police had a little conversation about that. They got caught on their cam. Many of them have gotten caught on their webcams saying out loud uh, what they think when they think it's safe and it's just them amongst good old boys or good old girls talking. So this right here is part one. It's two parts. I broke it into two because each part needs to be spoken about. This is part one of the Hamilton, Georgia Police Chief Gene Almond and Officer Brooks uh, having a little discussion. We're on abolition today. We'll be right back after you hear this. Hell yeah. Well, let me let me tell you. From and I, I've seen two videos, and, and I heard. You know who Dan Bongino is? He's on Fox News all the time. He oh, used to be oh, secret yeah. 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 <clears throat> he said, you know, that what they're saying now is, well, he didn't have to shoot him. It's just a taser. Then how come when you taser? It's like you done killed him 27 times. The guy's running. He's got the taser in his hand, and you see him, and he turns, and you see him fire the taser at the officer. Okay, well, what are you doing if it hit the officer? Go over there and get his gun and kill him? Yeah. Yes. Or what if, what if one of them projectiles would have struck him in the eye? The act of him firing that taser at an officer is an aggravated assault because... He has not been trained in the proper use. An officer, if I go to tase somebody, I know to shoot low. I know what to do. He doesn't know. That's right. That's exactly right. That's what I do. <coughs> and, and that that mayor up there, uh, she's already fired the officer. And uh, without a hearing. And she's pushing real hard. They say she's now the front runner to be... Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate. You can't. Uh, because if I had a fucking mayor, I'd rather fuck the mayor than Stacey Edwards. Yes, sir. Now, one day, Hamilton. 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 You heard it. He said, if I'm a fucking nigger, I'd rather fuck that mayor uh, than Stacey Abrams. That's what he said, the sheriff. Uh, he said, you know, if you tase one of these niggas one time, it's like tasing them 20, it's like killing them 27 times. Mm-hmm. That's what the sheriff said in Georgia, in Hamilton. Uh, the one that nobody's checking out any of the cases he's been involved in. You know, we're just going to ignore his entire history, right? That's how we're going to roll with this, right. with this one now. Another police chief. Another police chief on a hot mic. We can play them all night long. From big cities, small cities, all over the country. You know, they killed Rashad Brooks, right? Killed that brother. Right. And then this beast had the nerve to say, you know, they fired the cop without even giving him a hearing. You killed Rashad without giving him a hearing. Right. (sighs) It's, it's, it's beastly. It's beastly. So, you want anything else you want to add to that? I want to hear the second part. Okay, let's go ahead into the second part, man. Because uh, that definitely needed a pause, especially after if I'm a fucking nigga, I'll fuck that mayor and not Stacey Abrams. 
Jones. Okay, here you go. I don't own no slaves. My folks didn't own no slaves. Hey, I'm okay. You know, what are we talking about? 200 years ago? Hey, I've been doing a... I do a lot of stuff on my family history on Ancestry. And, you know, we're all from up north, but there was a small branch of the family that lived in Virginia, which before the Civil War, what is West Virginia was Virginia. And I did find evidence of some slave-owning part of my family, even though we're from Ohio and didn't nobody up there. But I'm going to tell you, looking at Chris's family, holy shit. Man, let me tell you what. She had she had a one relative, I can't remember his name. Was was he, he fought in the Civil War. After the Civil War was over with, he became a an overseer on a plantation. So he was in charge of all the slaves. And there was some article or something about something he did in the paper, and the newspaper said that whatever his name was says he was known to be the meanest man alive. Really? <clears throat> well, you know what, now, I, this, I don't know if this has any merit back in the slave time, but I'm sure there was a lot of them mistreated. I, I don't have no doubt about that. But for the most part, it seems to me like they furnished them a house to live in. They furnished them clothes to put on their back. They furnished them food to put on their table. And all they had to do was f***ing work. And now we give them all those things and they don't have to f***ing work. That's it. That's it. You know... I, I usually be taking notes when I'm listening to these things, but my hand wanted to roll into a fist too much for me to hold the pen, so I had to put it down. I'm going to pass the mic right. to you. A lot to unpack there, and looking at you know that this this second clip, you know, especially when he started talking about the family history, you know, and you you can hear the sense of pride, and then when he starts talking about yeah, they gave them a house, they gave them clothes, they gave them food, and all they had to do was work. <laughs> you know, leaving out how poorly the conditions were that they lived in. First of all, how they were captured and chained and beaten and put in that condition generation after generation. And that's and a nice way of saying it. How, right. How much they lived in squalor. You know, they had barely rags on their back. It was really like the clothing was made out of burlap bags they could and everything. It wasn't even clothing. like queens and kings, and it wouldn't have mattered. They were still slaves. So even exactly. the horrors of the clothes, it don't matter. You know, you own people. What the hell, exactly. man, is wrong with you? Savage. They couldn't even wear clothing made of the cotton that they picked. And then when we start talking about the food, I mean, if you want to call that food, Mm. Similar to what gets fed in the prisons now, you can go in many of the prisons, and the food that Aramark has in its uh, institutional circulation from hospitals and 
universities, anything where it's past its expiration date or even have some that have markings on them saying not fit for human consumption and they're going into the prisons and this is what they're feeding in the prison. You know, we have many articles and videos of everything that goes on that show those conditions. And when we say what's going on in the prisons is slavery, yes, because we can go back and see, well, what were they, how were they treated when they were enslaved? How were they fed? How were they treated if they couldn't work? You know, the only way you could, could get out of working is if you were dead. That was the only way you were getting out of work. You know, and this is talking about even little children were treated that way. If they didn't make their weight for the day, they'd be whipped. You know, so talking about all they had to do was F and work. You got to be kidding me. Even that wasn't limited to the plantation because in uh, Louisiana, they bred women as prostitutes, black women as prostitutes, and mixed them with certain other uh, nationalities on purpose in order to have uh, designer uh, prostitutes that they could sell Mm. uh, the Creoles. Uh, you know, right. so it wasn't always just the labor aspect that, and how many mistresses were there? You know, ask uh, Thomas Jefferson if he has an idea <laughs> how many mm. mistresses how about there that? were out there. You know, and not mistresses because they're slaves. Like, you own them. How is they a mistress? Like, you're just raping somebody. And usually it's right. some pedophile stuff because you're getting them at 14, 13, and 12 mm-hmm. uh, to have your way with them. And then we're in school quoting these bastards. Like they're God, right. you know, but the miseducation is ridiculous, man. And to go back to that last clip, the things that he was saying, you know, first of all, he's talking about how he ain't own no slaves. How many times do you hear that? That is a go-to exclamation for a uh, racist white supremacist. I ain't own no slaves. That was right. 200 years ago. Well, you ain't get over it yet. Uh, and then he knew all along that not only was his family slave owners, but he had one who was an overseer he was so proud of because he was known as the cruelest ever around. And I guess right. he was felt like he was walking in his ancestors' footsteps because the other guy even came out and admitted to what they were doing. He said, you know, like you mentioned, uh, all they had to do was work. We fed them. We clothed them. Uh, we patted them on the head house once in a while. Mm-hmm. Housed them. And all they had to do was freaking work, just like we do now. Just like we do now. He was talking about what they do right now in the prisons and in the jail. In the prisons. We house you, right. we hold you, and you don't want to work. You're crying about slave labor and all of this stuff. It's horrible, man. And this is all over America. We don't, you know, how can you reform that? You can't reform that. And don't talk about no few bad apples. You, you have got to clean house to a degree where you're no longer associated with slave catchers. Right. Mm. Right. And then, you know, when they start talking about, especially when, uh, what was his name? Chief David Best or David Beth? Yeah. When he was talking about not breeding more. And, and, you know, we look at, you know, there was an article out of Wisconsin, Wisconsin again, you know, where, uh, I don't know if you caught this one, but a Wisconsin teacher, uh, well, many of them, it wasn't just more than one teacher, Wisconsin teachers put on administrative leave after asking students how would they punish a slave. You know, we see this come up every single year. You know, we start talking about Black History Month, that teachers around the country, you know, and it's particularly in, you know, predominantly 
white schools that they want to teach on this, and, you know, they'll have the one black student in the classroom dressing up as a quote-unquote slave, you know, and seeing, you know, it was one, I think, last year they were auctioning off the, the black students in the class. Uh, now they're talking about how would you punish them. You know, it's like they take it as a joke, you know, and, you you know, uh, in the Texas uh, uh, textbooks where they're changing the narrative to say that they were migrant workers, you know, all of these types of things. So Unpaid laborers. Yeah, many of them. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just absurd. It's absurd, Max. The absurdity yeah, it, of all it of is. this. It is, and 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 you know how can you? You can't reform that. The whole house has got to be clean, and these people need to be investigated. My God, how many victims need to do they need to have before you say let's look? Let's just look. We don't know. Let's look. If they think like yeah. this now, they didn't just start thinking like this. They apply this in their philosophies of life and how they view other people around them. And it affects their uh, abilities at their job as a police person. And it's got right. to end. And, and that's why I brought up this article about what they're teaching. So yeah, here was the situation. This was the scenario. A slave stands before you. This slave has disrespected his master by telling him, you are not my master. How would you punish this slave? That's what the assignment said, and it said the answer was, according to Hammurabi's code, put to death. Put to death. The put answer to death. is put to death. So the answer to abolition today's host, the ASNNN, <laughs> right. all of the different organizations out here working towards freedom from slavery is what? Put him to death because we said you are not our master, and that's what they're teaching the kids. So these are badges and incidents of slavery. Uh, you, you uh, right? The police, what they apply in their everyday uh, life while they're working, are the badges and incidents of slavery because they still operate as overseers and slave catchers. Uh, as I've said right. many times, the simple question is: How many slaves do you need to catch to be a slave catcher? And we've got a million cops. So how many qualify? Every right. last one of them. Every last one of them. You know, I got a special treat for you tonight and uh, for everybody here listening. Uh, you know, we have a, another program that uh, we put together here. Uh, it's called Live from the Plantation. And as you also know, one of the co-hosts was brutalized recently in prison, the staff there and the National Freedom uh, Movement, as well as other organizations, are working diligently to get justice for these brothers, for people who have been assaulted total there. Uh, they're working diligently to get uh, justice for them. On our program on Thursday, some of the family members of the victims were there, and it was some amazing conversations. And one conversation in particular stood out for me, and uh, I snatched up a clip of it. Uh, it's from this brother, attorney Terry Peavy. Uh, who made a statement on behalf of his generation that was epic. And I thought that our listeners should hear that as well as some music that we decided to add to it. So you can go for the full ride. And we are blessed to even have Terry Peden here today, attorney Terry Peden. He's going to uh, call in and speak to us right after we finish with this track. So let's go ahead and listen to attorney Terry Peden from Thursday on live from the plantation, followed by, James BKS, New Breed, featuring Q-Tip, Idris Elba, 
and Little Sims. We'll be right back. This is Abolition Today. Abolition, Abolition. Today. My name is Attorney Terry Peden, um, and I just wanna I just wanna salute you, you, you everybody involved with this. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for everything going on and said, and I'm just sitting right now. I'm just sitting in the back seat, you know what I mean, and listening and paying attention and, and learning from from you all who have been committed to you know to changing this system and, and getting about some justice within corrections. Um, and just, you know, getting justice is it's, it's beyond corrections. It's something that we all know what it is, systemic racism, um, and it's brutality. It's a lot of hatred involved. So I'm just, I just want to let y'all know, man, there's people out here that, that are paying attention and have a lot of respect for what y'all are doing and, and are looking and, and eager and trying to find ways to be able to help. You know what I mean? And realizing that we all have um, our own tool belt and we all have our own way to to help in our own unique skills and talents so just understanding that and listening from from the perspective of of the inmate them inmates themselves you know that's like a true revolutionary and an evolutionary way of, of solving a problem it's not from an alien force it's from the inside out you know and the pedagogy of the oppressed it's like we oppress on the inside and on the outside but from right now we're speaking on a specific thing and getting prison reform and parole reform and you know, uh, just just changing the whole landscape of of Thirteenth Amendment chattel slavery that's still alive and well. And understanding that, you know, I just want to let y'all know it's it's a lot of young attorneys that's coming out of school and, and have have been doing it as y'all know. But you know, I, I hope that it's a new breed that's coming up. You know what I mean? That's not afraid to speak up for us. Not not afraid to, to pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak. You know what I mean? But um, I just want to tip my hat and, and let you guys know that I have a tremendous amount of respect. And I'm over here just sharpening, sharpening my tools, you know what I mean, and, and trying to get ready to be effective um, so that I can be used. When they try to move in, you know what you must do, right? Coming out the room, whether the sun or the moon, it is safe to assume that we've been well-groomed in the village of platoon. Drums tickle out the boom on test, you get doomed, we the... Here's a demonstration show, put the arrow to the bow, strategy to the foe, victory, see it glow, and we take the winner lap around the river, and we back, only God allow that, we the... Show off with the mask that is now worn, devil man look around, say it's war torn, what do you know about the secrets bestowed and the stories we told, we the... Action, spiritual or physical, closer to the mystical, ancestor visit you, whisper in your ear, you and you can hear clear, you the... We moving out when the moon shines, and lay out in the sunshine. More time, well, it's now slime. Escape the rule, we the jewel, we the... See our women, they the big boss. And the men, see they keep course. Quickly, we moving. Slick target grooving. Africa, all Africa, we about to blow like a harmonica, we about to show you that everything you sold is living and breathing and coming right back at you, ah listen, everything circular, begin and we'll end of us, I can tell by the look in your face when you look in our eyes that you really just scared of us, the new breed coming down that mountain, we ain't afraid of no thing. fuck all that slating, hey, hey, this ain't Hollywood, this ain't a movie, ain't cool, ain't cut, we cut in the front of the old system, so if you ain't with us, then you better run. Back off with the cop and the cop for shot. We didn't agree that we really don't care. We 
shining and glowing for the world to see. Your insecurities not concerning me. I mean, God is a woman, that's my firm belief. And they want to burn it down to the third degree. Grab a hold of the locks and insert the key. How many leaders does it take to be free? Don't want to be jacked trying to get out the box. Should be stuck in there if you don't know how much it's all cost. Whoa, many layers is what's underneath. Look a little closer, I promise I'm more than you see. Please don't tell me you're different, I know I'm more than unique. Self-love and the weed is all that I need. Never sew up, I don't know the feet. My heritage comes from royalty. That crown's a throne of gold chains. More pain and nothing's changed. Still in chains. Which one of you politicians wanna be stepping in and up in a bad space? Step in my ring, you better know it's a sad day. Fuck trying to dismiss myself, I'll kick you out the damn place. Make them go missing, won't even leave a damn trace. Give me your best thing and I'll tell you that's a waste. I've been investing in my shit from day. Use the lies, you say it ain't great. Go. Not afraid to, to pin the tail on the donkey, so to speak. You know what I mean? Abolition. 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 You just heard a clip from Live from the Plantation of attorney Terry Peden, and that was followed by James BKS, New Breed, featuring Q-Tip, Idris Elba, and Little Sims. So, uh, Max, uh, the, the, late- the brother was on point. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do it, do it like this. Uh, and welcome okay. here to Abolition Today. Joining Yusuf Hassan and Max Parthas is Attorney Terry Peden. What's happening, brother? Hey, welcome to the show, brother. And thank you so much, Yusuf and Max. I appreciate the invitation. Man, epic, brother. We needed to hear that because, you know, we knew it was the case, but it's, sometimes it's really good to hear people speak for themselves. And when you step forward as like, this is the new breed. And I've seen a lot of brothers and sisters like you. You ain't lying for sure. We're working with a number of them coming out the gates, ready to get the work done and looking at this with new information from a new perspective, with new ideas and solutions. Uh, Yes, indeed. Yes, sir. And I kind of want to caveat that by saying um, it's it's not that I feel that I'm anything um, that my predecessors weren't. It's just... Uh, from the perspective of, you know, for example, um, the movie Hidden Colors really kind of mm-hmm. invigorated and opened our generation's eyes up to things that that Dr. Ben had been teaching, that Dr. Francis Cress Wilson had been teaching, that mm-hmm. Dr. Kaba had been teaching. You know, it's not to say that we, we just invented this stuff or we the ones who went and did the work, uh, you know, that that of excavating stuff in Kemet. No, we, we just, I feel like it just kind of hit a critical mass. It's, and, and that mass is continually um, growing. But, um, you know, back in the day, it was just, I feel like after, you know, as a community, a black American community, we saw all of our leadership um, basically just be dismantled by the government. People be 
exterminated and, and organizations be broke apart and corrupted. Um, and then, you know, everything with the 80s, um, it was a few soldiers left. And until, you know, you had certain things, Rodney King and stuff like that, that was highly publicized. But um, I feel like from Trayvon Martin and then also um, just the, the whole YouTube era of knowledge and information and, you know, uh, kind of like, because I know for me, a large part of my awakening is credited to, to watching videos that somebody watched, that somebody uploaded to YouTube in 2010, you know, 2009. The video was a recording, uh, you know, from, from uh, just say, uh, uh, Dr. Booker T. Coleman speaking way back in 1985 or something, and they just recorded it. And I'm watching this and studying it and it's like, wow, you know. So with that type of mentality and, and, and tapping into the knowledge of who we are before slavery and having that along with, I say, the experiences of, you know, for me, my parents were the first generation to go to college. Um, my mother's from the east side of San Antonio. That's the, the, the little black part of town, you know what I mean? She's the east side girl, you know. And uh, my father's from South Hampton County, Virginia. Um, from a peanut field, literally holding the floor in the outhouse. So for them to be able to get to a certain level educationally and income-wise and just to afford um, certain access to their children, you know, they, they took stuff really far. And just seeing all the levels and generations that went into it. But I feel like one key difference is we see, we we are kind of like the, because I'm 30, I was born in 1990. Um, I, I grew up and, and watched my, I grew up in the suburbs in Houston, Texas, watching my parents go work in corporate America and talk about white folks plot and scheme and do all type of Karen stuff <laughs> against them at work, you know, and, and, and watch, uh, my father do everything and not to say my parents, not no coons or no sellout type of people or, you know, no kiss and tell that's, that was never the vibe either. But in terms of, you know, my father in the military, honorable discharge, you know, um, clean cut, well-dressed guy, you know, well-spoken, all of that, uh, engineering degree, all of that. And I watched my father be one of the engineering capitals of the world, and you can't get a job for years. And it's like, but trying, you know, and what that does to a man. And um, along with that, also seeing, you know, the, the legacy and the type of law that I practice. Um, really, really extends from what I saw my whole family sacrifice. But uh, my mother went. My mother went back to law school um, whenever she was uh, like in her late thirties, mid to late thirties. I was in the fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Watched her go through that whole process, like as I'm entering into high school. So for me, it was just very formative um, to see that experience and how things changed. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff changed. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just say that, you know, I understand that we have to really cling to the teachings of, like, Dr. Claude, Dr. Claude Anderson, I'm speaking. You know what I mean? Um, right. And, and understand that we have to be specific because, you know, generations before us, we didn't understand that when they just using words like colored or people of color, but now they're using more hip terms, just specifically inner city, specifically low end, specific, you know what I mean? these broad and ambiguous terms, I understand that if we want something as black folks and also because of the role of, of numbers and statistics, 
we're not as critically important as we were in the mid '60s and in the '50s. We, I, I wanna, in terms of a, 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 a political standpoint, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just I had some specific questions I wanted to get through and, and ask you if you don't yes, mind. Um, yes, sir. One thing I, I did hear that you know the people that you were quoting and and saying you know that uh, we need to follow the teachings of them. Did any of those people that you're aware of focus on the 13th Amendment and view the system that we know it today as the continuation of slavery? Yes, sir. Um, okay, so who? I, which one was that? Uh, uh, specifically, Dr. Claude Anderson and Dr. Claude Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I, I'd say in terms of my stance as a as an abolitionist who happens to be an attorney um and all throughout my process of of being in school specifically dealing with constitutional constitutional law on the civil side and then criminal procedure which is constitutional law constitutional law on the on the criminal side um his when i took his same points he made um and went and read those cases thousands of pages right um, and, and reading those and breaking them down and going back to class and asking the teacher who's been doing this for decades, hey, what's up with this? But what's up with this, though, with this badging incidents of slavery talk in these post-Civil War cases when you dig into the legislative intent? And that's where the most obvious of that is, is still in prison because of what the 13th Amendment on its face says, right? But... Uh-huh. Um, in terms of a, a wider spectrum, and also the the whole our reparations talk, you know, I understand reparations could be a le- a conversation to be had on multiple levels, but be- very concretely, Black American people who are descendants of slaves right here, who was enslaved here in these United States, our our claim to to go about the economic restitution and the removal of the economic and socioeconomic badges and incidences of slavery. It's very simple and clear cut, you know, and in terms of now the bigger argument for uh, reparations aside, but the bigger argument in terms of the removal of, of, of that, of the the slavery language from the 13th Amendment. Yeah, I, I think that's just absolutely barbaric. I don't I don't even know how in these day and age, you know, that's even something that would that well, this country would, would want to be defined by. You just listened to the first hour of the program, so you know how it works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's those cops that are doing it, that are putting people in, mm-hmm. and we're we're allowing it to happen. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're prepared to have a reaction to this, to any kind of physical revolutionary degree, maybe mental revolutionary, but physical. We're not prepared to do what the insurgents tried to do, and I don't think we should try to do that. But, but that's how it's coming. From these very police, from the politicians who make the laws, and that, that leads me to a couple more questions that I, I still want to ask you. While we had you here, uh, you were on live from the plantation, one of our, our sister programs here on Abolition Today, and uh, yes, at one point you said that that was revolutionary, and I felt you so hard on that because when we first started the program, when the, we were approached by Brother Benu Kinetic, said let's do this. Like yes, and we had hoped that we would get how many? You, you said four or five shows. <laughs> we like, right. Hope we get four or five shows because this is all inmates talking. You know what I mean? Uh, amongst each other and planning and everything. 
We're up to mm-hmm. 21. You're on the 21st pro broadcast. <laughs> so we're, we're ecstatic that it lasts that long, and we feel it is revolutionary. Could you expand on that a little bit? Yes, sir. Um, so I think within that, within that comment, um, I also mentioned a book. Um, it's called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And um, I came across this book years ago, but I just the some of the the, the philosophies and, and teachings of that book are, and I, I used it as an educator. Uh, I'm still an educator. I feel like I always will be, but specifically, I used to be. Um, most recently, I was a, a middle school math teacher uh, here in Houston, public school teacher. Um, and just in in terms of a true revolutionary. And I, I think, in, in my personal opinion, I prefer the term evolutionary so that you're not just revolving in 360 degrees back in the same place, but that you're evolving and growing into something better that's from that growth and transformation. But in order to help somebody, th- that process is not something to where you have a cup that's empty, I have a cup that's full, and I just come pour everything into your cup and say, hey, now you have. Because you're still, in essence, still depending on me to come fill up your cup next time you get thirsty. But more or less teaching someone to fish and also understanding, okay, if that if the knowledge is already there, then the action of it is something that comes from the inside out. It's it's a, a internal reflection and observation of what's going on here. How do I fit in? What's really happening? And then from that point, how do I organize first of all myself, and then those around me immediately to do something about this? And then. Uh, like you know um, A common theme And something that's repeated From live on the plantation Is you know This is this is our thing And some people Get egoic And might, might feel offended But I feel like Yeah if they do get offended It's just purely egoic Because it is his thing It's his thing You know what I'm saying Banu is in jail You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying So it's like that, That's his thing Yeah we gotta be here In the same way when, How I see Like a, a in terms of solution to solving this racist, to solving racism, um, it's specifically anti-black racism. Um, yeah, shit. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I, everybody who's a different color and don't look like me evil, and I, that's not my experience. That's not what I know to be true. But at the same time, it's on me to do my thing first. You know what I mean? I, I yes. already know. I know what you owe me in terms of reparations, but I can't sit up here and wait on you to give me reparations for me to take care of myself first. And you can't mm-hmm. even go to war until you got your stuff in order, until you got stock. You know what I mean? You can't even get to that point if you ain't even got yourself in order. So I, I really feel him on that. You know what I mean? It's like, now we live from the plantation. We organizing ourselves, and from our impact and our unity being shown. And and what we put forward, if you're a real humanitarian person, you should want to support this just in general, off the rip. You know what I'm saying? Knowing the facts and really knowing what's going on, and it's not hard no more to find it because we're in the age of Aquarius. Whatever mm-hmm. you want to know, you can know now. Thanks. Uh, I, I had one more question. Uh, Yusuf, did you want to get in before I could ask the last question that I have? Go go ahead and ask your, ask your question, brother. Okay, um, it's I'm actually, loving the conversation. It, it's kind of a, a pair. So let's start with the first one, right? You're aware, brother, and I know 
that you're aware. We have the largest prison population in history. Humanity, all of these people that we have of color, 4% represent 40%. Uh, the cruel and unusual punishment, the Eighth Amendment violations, the Sixth Amendment violations, the Fourth Amendment violations, uh, the court rulings, the systemic oppression, uh, race and class-based, the forced poverty, all of these things tied together. Do you view that as a crime against humanity? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. And, and, yeah, absolutely. No, go ahead. If you had more to add to it, feel free. Um, you know, no, I, I think to, to answer it straightforward, yes, it's a crime against humanity in terms of how we would um, fashion that and, and go about getting restitution. I don't have an answer at this point um, or what that what that would look like. I don't have an answer at this point, but for sure, it's a crime against humanity. Some Some kind of way. And it's a whole bunch of stuff they holler about the crime against humanity and the crime against somebody. So we can make <laughs> something to be a crime against black folks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you, bro. <laughs> With the Abolish Slavery National Network, they have sort of a plan that they're working. I don't want to give away too much of it early in public, but I'll say it like this. Uh, as we abolish slavery in each and every state, we're challenging those badges and incidents of slavery again through lawsuits uh, that were previously protected by the Constitution. So when they would run up against these uh, lawsuits about slavery and slave rights conditions and Eighth Amendment violations and on and on, the court would ever be able to pre- present that the state itself or the federal constitution says, yes, it's okay right here, except the prisoners duly convicted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Then we can force you to do that because it says it right there. Uh, without that protection in a state that has specifically abolished it. So we're, we're starting the, the suits already in places like Colorado. Uh, there's one suit right now, as a matter of fact, against the police who no longer have the uh, immunity that they had previously because of the Colorado legislation that has been enacted. Uh, so that's part of the plan. I'm not going to say it's reparations or anything, but it is about taking your liberties. Uh, and if we have been subject to this now, we have the opportunity to challenge it in court and get restitution for the crimes that have been done. Yes, sir. And I think that so I think that it's also important that um that that since we own the thirteenth amendment, okay, the inmates bringing this forward, right? And this is the most obvious. This is how we, we get at the table because it could be very easy for people to dismiss our claims and our legitimate arguments um to be restored and to have the other Badges and incidences removed, right? But in that we're dealing with this, we also don't, we can't let the, the Democrats pull a quick one on you. Where they'll say, oh, yeah, we, we we took that out of there. Now we're done with 13th Amendment. On to something else. Nah, you got other stuff you need to unpack with the mm-hmm. 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Right. Since the inmates be on this, let's go ahead. We're going to deal with it with the inmates because that's the most concrete thing. And y'all like to play stupid. So we're not mm-hmm. going to play stupid with you. We're going to get you right here. And everything, that's what I'm saying again. When we look at things from a a world court level and a humanitarian level and an international perspective, that's where we have to, I feel like that argument for restitution comes from a lot of different places, different nations, different banking institutions, different things that basically are in control of the world right now from a Western European perspective, right? And also from these bastardized nations that were carved up over here and over there, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that argument 
something more creative. But this argument underneath this 13th Amendment, it's come right from the horse's mouth. When they talk about removing the, the badges and incidents, it's right out the horse's mouth. Slavery, what what made this, what makes this country the, they call all the, the greatest country and people want to come from all of these liberties that come from who? From us. Fighting, getting our head buzzed, revolting, all this type of stuff, not having it, right? And so that's that's the social side of it. You come, you can get all the benefits, you know what I'm saying? Your kids get all the social services, can't discriminate, education, the great things. Not functioning from a place of scarcity, right? But that's one part of it. And then the, the second is, is the economic side of it. Cotton is king. You know what I'm saying? My grandmama picked right. cotton. You know what I mean? I still got right. one grandma from that generation. 100 pounds a day. Come to your house, burn, a, burn, a, burn the thing in front of your house, all that. Yeah. So, no, but but in terms of now that we 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 pulling it up and yeah, y'all wanna act like y'all doing all this and that for people and yeah, this is time to do this and that. Okay, well come on with it. You know what I'm saying? Let's get all these badges and incidents off because it's easy That's for them to try to marginalize being vague or just being partial with the argument instead of being comprehensive. Right, and with the way we're doing it, that that is the plan uh, to address it holistically. But there's always got to be a first step. And at this point in time, slavery is still legal. And until we make it illegal, we can't even address it as illegal. Uh, You know, so that puts us in a different position right there from the very beginning. Now, according to the supreme law of the land, this is no longer applicable. You can no longer hide behind it. It's no longer an institution protected by the Constitution. And a change can begin from there. But that first step is crucial uh, towards everything. And it's not like it's something we're dreaming about. It's not like it's something that, you know, we think we can do. We're doing it, and it's getting done, (laughs) you know? And that's the beauty of of everything that's about to occur here. Uh, You know, the pedagogy of the oppressed, as you uh, expressed earlier and with Live from the Plantation, one of the things that we've learned through our research is that during the antebellum period, the people who had their voices heard the least were the enslaved. Even those who were free really didn't get their voices heard. Uh, the black abolitionists, if you look up black abolitionists, you might find a half a dozen. That's all people ever hear about. Uh, predominantly, historians tended to think that the abolitionist movement was primarily a white-led, white-dominated group. But that wasn't the case at all. It's just those voices that were never heard. So we bring those voices back to life here on Abolition Today every week just to show people that they were there. Uh, but, yes, you know, sir. With the lie from the plantation, that's how we felt. These are the people who are directly affected by it. Their lives are on the line right now. You can't get no closer to the source than this. Listen to them. And they ain't stupid. They know what they're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I wanna I wanna chime in for a second because uh the conversation you two are having, you know, is a perfect segue for my questions, especially uh with we're in season two now, and the theme of season two is, in particular, badges and incidents of slavery. And you've mentioned it mentioned it a couple of times. And earlier, you mentioned the uh, the uh, post Thirteenth Amendment cases, like the you didn't mention them by name, but I'm thinking of like the major ones: the slaughterhouse cases, the civil rights cases, right. uh, Bailey versus Alabama. And uh, I'm curious as to how 
law schools are dealing with these cases? Are they teaching them? Uh, and how are they dealing with uh, the, the rulings in them where, you know, the court even mentioned that, you know, the, they say the purpose was to abolish African slavery in this incident, but they also say once a person fell under the exception clause, uh, in that time it was called the punishment clause, and said the state is justified in depriving the person right. of his life and liberty. So I'm wondering, how is it taught? Is it taught? And how are, you know, many of the students reacting to that? Um, so I, I went to the Thurgood Marshall School of Law on the campus of Texas Southern University. Okay, um, great school. Great school. Right. I Michael Strahan. Yes, sir. Um, I just graduated in in May of 2020, so I'm probably a, probably one of the best people to ask in, in terms of what's being taught in school. Um, and my my experience is, well, everybody has every law student has to take constitutional law. Some schools mm-hmm. make it one semester. Some stu- some schools make it a whole year. Um, it's it's a major area that's tested on the bar exam. Um, on both components, on the written and on the multiple, on the multiple choice. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, everybody's going to deal with constitutional law. Now, now I can't speak for you know in terms of what's happening in other schools, of course, because of my own experience. But mm-hmm. what I can say, is, um, I know I I had I, I was that I was that guy in the class that yeah, like I understand yeah, we talking about all this and that, but I'm at an HBCU. I only applied to one school. I didn't want to apply nowhere else. It's the only school I wanted to go to. So I didn't. I came here. I want to go to my school so I can talk about my shit. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to come to my school. <laughs> right. my, I didn't want to feel like I had to go to somebody else's school and go sit in their environment. Okay, now I'm bringing this beef to your situation, but really I could just go to my own. So I'm just going to go to my own and work these issues and these things out and, you know what I'm saying, mentally deal with this stuff right here. So um, in that experience, what I still saw was, and also just just from them having other people come, um, symposiums and different speaking events and guest speakers and stuff, um, I never had a problem standing up and being like, hey, well, Dr. Clark said this, and this is what I'm seeing right here, so what you talking about right now, you know what I mean? Like, what you talking about? And um, it would just come down to, it's right there, Pain is day in terms of what we got to do for how we secure our restitution for slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, learn about the, the concept of restitution from from uh, contra- from contract law and also dealing with, you know, um, contract law as it permeates to other areas of the law. We understand that concept. We have the foundation here. We got case precedents here. And... I mean, it's, it's it's there even from dealing with certain things with, with cases they have with Native Americans and, and just how their independent and unique ex- experience and mm-hmm. the laws that were fashioned around that have been upheld and respected. Now, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not here. To, I'm not I'm not trying to say at all that the United States has been respectful towards um, the real Native American Indian man. I'm not saying that. You know what I'm saying? They have absolutely broke, as far as I know, every single treaty. You know what I'm saying? Right. right in terms of where they now, and in terms of certain things that, again, I'm not going to delve too deep into that, but there's a framework for it. And it's not something that you would think 
that this will be a, a focal point that's focused on if at no other law schools at a black law school. You know what I'm saying? And um, right. it was a lot of good experiences. I had a TSU, and I'm not here to bash it. It's a great school. If you want to go get a law degree, you should go there. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not here to bash it. But I'm saying if I could add something to it, I would definitely add a course, and maybe that's something I can work up and be able to teach in the future. But to teach dealing with the 13th Amendment, the post-Civil War amendments, and how that relates to us and what we're dealing with, what we're owed, and how we go about getting it and setting it up. No, well, I thank you for that. And Oh, I'm sorry, Max. Go ahead. No, say what you was going to say, you. I was going to say, uh, the reason I asked the question is because we know as states start removing the exception clauses from their state constitutions, and once it is removed from the U.S. Constitution, as is what's happening in Colorado now, there are going to be lawsuits against the conditions, especially the Sixth Amendment and Eighth Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment constitutional violations that are going on inside the jails and prisons across the country. And I want to know, are, you know, are attorneys coming out equipped to handle these type of cases? Are they going to just look at it as labor issues? Are they going to look at it as you know, constitutional violations, human rights violations. So that was the purpose of the question. And if I understood you correctly, that it's not really being taught as like the 13th Amendment, the exception clause is not really being taught and focused on. At least that was your experience at Texas Southern. But how about some of your colleagues? You know, have you ever had these type of conversations, you know, with other attorneys who went to other law schools, you know, things of that nature? No, I, I find that uh, other attorneys that I, that I could go there with in terms of having this level of conversation with, right, mm-hmm. they had to already come to the table with this type of knowledge. Or mm. they just maybe experience where they just had a, a really radical, badass teacher who was really just in there teaching how it was supposed to, you know, the, the truth of it and the fullness of it and the essence of it. It's the mm-hmm. essence of it. The 14th Amendment is essence. You got to deal with the right. essence of it. If you don't put the essence, it's broad and ambiguous, and you don't do shit for black people. Yeah, deal with the root, you won't have to deal with the fruit. Right. Mm. Exactly. And until yeah, that so time, then we always then we'll, we'll continue to be a, a bad fruit. Well, it's saying? not you until get... we are here now, doing it right now. That's what I'm. I've been saying. You know, we we, we got it happening right now. Uh, it's a mountain that's but, moving. And, and I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Max, but but to answer, I, I think to answer your question, um, in terms of what that legal route would be, that's uncharted territory. You know what I mean? So I mean, I feel blessed to be in in the position and predicament I'm in right now because, um, through the the cases that follow are that's what creates the law. You know what I mean? It, it I'm not gonna say it creates the whole law, but uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, one case might come down and the facts of that case establish one type of precedent that could be followed. And maybe the facts of another case might determine another, you know, it might carve out another pathway to to restitution. What I would really like to see, though, um, is is, is there has to be, y'all mentioned this the the other night, um, I think it was right before I got on, um, but, but, and that's, I think, it's, it's probably what made me, Press one and it's like, hey, let me on. I gotta say something. <laughs> but, uh, 
but you were mentioning that yeah, that the DOJ is doing all this shit in Alabama, and then they're turning around and giving two point two billion. Mm-hmm. Use the paper <laughs> yep. and so right. It's like, what do these them people respect guns and butter? If you ain't talking about mm. no guns, no butter. They- they got mad over all that stuff, all this, even up to the day, Donald Trump, it's about economics. It's about economics. Right. So until you start capping them pockets or locking them up, and but I'm not a prosecutor, so, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not my job. It's somebody else. Right. Somebody else is strong. Well, relatives, yeah, I go to the prosecutor, don't know, but arrest, you know, make sure police go to jail. You know what I'm saying? Prosecute number. If they can make it where I didn't do nothing, prosecute police. And uh, you know what I mean? People who is just uh, r- r- racist, anti-black, then yeah, you know, or just racist in general, hateful people, bad people. You know what I'm saying? And, but nah, I, ain't, I can't do that. But um, yeah, I, well, to, to answer your question, and it's, it's it's wide open. So the the attorneys and the facts and creative minds will will create those things. Attorney uh, Terry Peden. I got to say, I appreciate you joining us here tonight. Uh, We got to get into our next segment, but before we do that, uh, I just want to express my appreciation uh, for the statements that you made for Live on the Plantation and the conversation that you had here tonight. There's still a lot for us to discuss, I think, and I'd like to do that again in the future if you'd be interested. Um, uh, Some more topics in regards to this narrative that we have in regards to this being modern-day slavery and human trafficking and how we can affect it through uh, political and legal means. So if yes, you'd like to come back to the program, we really appreciate it. And in the meantime, I'd like to give you a moment to also tell the audience anything you want to tell them and how they can reach you if necessary. And finally, I don't know if you've signed with a, a, a firm or not yet, have you? Um, no, sir. I actually own my, my own firm. Uh, I have one office right now um, in Montgomery. And I'm opening. I'll be opening my my second office in um, in Houston, Texas, coming up soon. But um, yes, sir. So uh, I'm, I have a couple. <clears throat> excuse me. I have a couple clients right now that I'm representing um, for the upcoming parole dates in Alabama. Um, I can be reached most easily at my office phone number, which is three three four five four four nine four seven one. Again, three three four. Five four four nine four seven one. Um, also at my website www.thelawgroupofmyinitials.thp. T is in Tom. H is in Henry. P is in Paul. Dot com. And uh, you know that's that's pretty much the easiest ways to reach me right there. My phone, my website. Go on there and just you know write me a message, and I'll give you a call. Contact contact you back as soon as possible. We'll get that data website at Abolition Today as well, so our listeners can just go ahead and click it and, and, and find you, man. You know, you listened to the show from the very beginning. What's your opinion so far? Oh, man, I'm 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 honored to be on the show. Um again, uh I'm humbled to be in this position and to be able to uh I, I know I know a lot of work goes into doing this this type of work and doing anything any 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 work of of your love and labor um a lot goes into it so to have someone invite you into that and you know say hey would you would you want to be a part of it to me i take that serious and i'm appreciative of it 
Thank you, brother. We much appreciated, man. Uh, we're going to get you back up on here. Y'all been listening to us Definitely. here at Abolition Today with Attorney Terry Peden, uh, Yusuf San, and Max Parthas. This is Abolition Today. Uh, hang on with us, brother. We ain't done yet, but we want you to continue to listen and, and uh, feel the rest of the program with us. we got some jewels ahead. But we did want to get some yes, news sir. clips out and, and talk about some of the things that have been going on around the country uh, in the next 10 minutes or so before we get into our final segments. Uh, let me pull up one right off the bat here. And this came from CNN.com, and it's about San Quentin uh, Prison being fined more than $400,000 after they allowed this pandemic uh, to just really run rampant through the prisons. It says, when COVID-19 spread inside a California institution for men in Chino in May, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation and California Correctional Health Care Services, CCHCS, decided to transfer some students, some detainees to a facilities that were not experiencing outbreaks. A total of 122 detainees were transferred to San Quentin on May 30th, leading to a public health disaster. The Inspector General report said in the three months following the transfers, the number of COVID-19 cases soared to more than 2,200 among its approximately 3,300 inmates. Two-thirds of the inmates got COVID, damn, and 28 detainees died of COVID-19 complications, according to the report. Of the 122 detainees who had arrived from Chino, officials say 91 tested positive and two died from COVID-19 complications. Man, it was already a crime against humanity before COVID came along. But when you start talking about how they put plague in blankets and brought it over to them, it's just, it's beyond a disaster. This is genocide. Yusuf? Right. It's yeah. You called it genocide, cruel and unusual punishment, and you can name many other things. And it's just, you know, when we talk about Fourteenth Amendment violations, equal protection under the law, and things of that nature, we see clearly there was no equal protection there. We see clearly cruel and unusual punishment, the Eighth Amendment violations, and. They don't care. You know, they're just looking at it financially. There's no human aspect. To them, these are no different than boxes on a shelf in a warehouse, that they're not dealing with human beings. And so, therefore, it's no big deal to them. Still in the concept of one dies, get another. It's heartbreaking. Another news report that I want to talk about, and I mentioned it last week, was the incident that happened in Colorado where the police pulled over a woman and her children, I think it was four children, uh, suspecting their cars being stolen, then forced uh, her and the children to lay face down on the ground, including like a six-year-old child, held a gun at them while they were screaming. It was just horrible, like scenes out of something I've never seen before. I I was thinking, never mind, but you, you can imagine. Anyway, uh, because of the laws that have been passed, the policies that have changed in Colorado, there's no longer qualified immunity for the police. So there's a lawsuit pending that could set some precedents. And I'm going to read this real quick to you. It says, Gilliam has sued the five officers who conducted the stop that day, putting each cop on the hook for up to $20,000. And she just might win. Colorado recently became the first state to get rid of its qualified immunity statute. 
which made it nearly impossible to hold individual officers accountable for wrongdoing. If Gilliam succeeds and the officers have to pay out of their own pockets, the case could signal to other states and lawmakers that reforming protections for cops is worth their time. Qualified immunity has been the most critical protection standing between police officers accused of wrongdoing while on duty and consequences like prison time or hefty settlements. The rule, which is meant to free cops of legal shackles while on the job, also set up insurmountable conditions for people pursuing legal action to show wrongdoing. Victims are forced to prove systemic shortcomings of the entire department rather than the individuals on the job. And that means the institution is responsible and pays for the civil mm-hmm. damages if applicable. It's how police officers were protected in the shooting of a 10-year-old child and the chokehold death of Eric Garner in 2014. So I'm hoping that she wins this lawsuit because that could open the door to exactly what we've been saying. You know, these are badges and incidents of slavery. You stop this black family, put a six-year-old on the ground, face down. Really? That's how you roll it, right? You, you, with a gun out. Because the six-year-old might jump up and do something to you that is unexpected and you might die. That's where you're at with this right now? Like, it's crazy, man. It's out of this world crazy. And the theme throughout the night is we've shown these connections of these thought processes, how they've been raised to believe, the ideologies. Because, you know, now it's not North versus South. It's ideologies. It's what you believe, mm-hmm. and you know. And it's not separated geography uh, by geography anymore. It's uh, separated by ideology. Uh, the North mm. versus the South. So we've shown absolutely, those connections, absolutely. and we've also made appeals that when you find these people out here busting them, talking as they do, that their records should be examined because there are people who have suffered. Because of this ideology It should be standard procedure The chief of police is a racist son of a bitch Well let's look at how long he's been working here And what he's been doing And who he has affected Because somebody's looking for freedom right now That has been wrongfully incarcerated Or God forbid even killed uh, By these racist sons of bitches So For instance right now The Biden Secretary of Defense Is moving to purge the military Right, He's saying Joe Biden's Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, vowed to root out white supremacy and right-wing radicalism in the ranks. Though he provided little detail as to how that would be accomplished, he said the job of the Department of Defense is to keep America safe from our enemies. He said, we can't do that if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. Yes, they do. I mean, all the way up to generals, you know, and rank and file, and in the police departments, and in politics. It's everywhere. That's why it's called systemic Racism Because it's everywhere you look But you have right. to take a significant And and sure and, and, and solid stand Against this you know You cannot keep propping up these Alternate uh, ideologies As facts and saying that They're allowed to have their opinions The fact that you think that we should all die Is not an opinion Right <laughs> That's not an opinion Those are fighting words Literally in the first amendment it's not protected by the First Amendment. Fight in words. Okay. You <laughs> I was just letting you flow because it sounded like you needed to get all of that off your chest because I'm feeling Man. you on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, we have so many articles. I mean, there's the one, at least 31 law enforcement officers in 12 states tied to the storming of the Capitol. Uh the article come, came, it was uh, put out by the Associated Press. 
the article that I'm looking at is uh, WSPA.com. I guess it's a local newspaper in Virginia. It says, for two Virginia police officers who posed for a photo during the deadly U.S. Capitol insurrection, the reckoning has been swift and public. They were identified, charged with crimes, and arrested. But then it goes on to say, most of the officers have not been publicly identified. Only a few have been charged. Some were identified by online sleuth. Others were reported by their colleagues or turned themselves in. (laughs) Think of that. You turned yourself in. They come from some of the country's largest cities, three Los Angeles officers and a sheriff's deputy, for instance, as well as state agencies and a Pennsylvania police department with nine officers. Among them are an Oklahoma sheriff and New Hampshire police chief who have acknowledged being at the rally but denied entering the Capitol or breaking the law. And as you were just mentioning, there's this uh, attorney out of Oregon who was claiming if they were off duty, it's totally free speech. You know, people have the right to express their political views regardless of who's standing next to them. You just don't get uh, guilt by association. So this is like their type of pushback. And it's crazy as to what's going on. But more and more, people are going to start getting exposed or if we, if or to quote George Bush from back in the day, you know, when you got to draw a line in the sand, that's what's happening right now. That it's the mood of the nation where people are boldly folding themselves. And I'm glad about the article that you mentioned about the qualified immunity because, you know, people, especially the main people that are talking about, uh, uh, blue lives matter and all of that stuff and all lives matter and they're not even aware of how much of their tax money goes to paying off police lawsuits for violation people's constitutional lives constitutional rights or murdering people so yes this should come out of the police uh pension fund uh it should come out of the police departments it should come out of many of the officers own accounts, you know, then right. we'll start seeing major changes. Cause as a, uh, attorney, Terry Peaton just mentioned, you know, when you start affecting them financially, that's when you're going to start seeing changes because the problem, one of the major problems in the country is justice is tied to finances. This is why prison sponsors. Absolutely. Great. Go on rant. <laughs> <laughs> making me get down off my soapbox. <laughs> but, you know, uh, the last point I just wanted to make is that, you know, when you have uh, uh, prisons, prison stocks being sold on the stock market and the only commodity that they have are human bodies, you know that that's a problem. And that's the motivation to keep these prisons full because it's just like any social media platform. What gives you value is having bodies there, having people present. So that's all I wanted to say. I could say a lot more on that. As you know, I can. I can really get on a roll sometimes. Well, <laughs> but I, I just got in a voicemail from somebody about the show. They said, uh, If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's take a moment to thank our, our sponsors today and uh, our appreciation for Brother Attorney Terry Peden for coming on and speaking with us. But Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, as always. Uh, I am we, Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, 
and I know some of these Quakers don't want to say their names, but yes, we down with same urge. <laughs> and uh, right. the Paul Coffey Abolitionist Center, as well as Prismatic Dreams and the Black Talk Radio Network. They all make us possible here every week. Um, Yusuf? Yes, and I mean, just, just in some closing comments, remember to subscribe to our YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program at youtube.com slash abolition today. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become a part of the solution. We'll be back February 14th, inshallah, God willing, with another episode. episode. Yeah, Valentine's Day. We're going to make it sweet for y'all. Another episode of Abolition Today. Don't forget to tune in to Live from the Plantation on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, You have any last comments before I get into our Bridging the Gap, Max? Um, yeah, uh, make sure you go to abolishslavery.us, sign up on the mailing list because you don't want to miss this event on February 9th, uh, and it's invitation only. So if you sign up on the website, you'll get your invitation. Uh, it's going to be epic. I've already expressed in the beginning just how epic, uh, but you personally want to witness this, you know, uh, if you tried to see that inauguration from my perspective, this is even bigger. (laughs) I'm just saying. And I want to thank everybody for being here this evening to listen to us, despite the competition that we have with the football. We'll catch you next week. Peace, Yusuf. Peace, fam. Yes, peace, brother. Peace. And getting into our final segment, Bridging the Gap, my favorite segment where I can sit back and be a listener. Uh, We have uh, Killing Strangers by Marilyn Manson, followed by John Brown's last speech performed by David Strathame. Until next week, think about slavery, abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Abolition. On October 16, 1859, John Brown and nearly two dozen slaves seized the armory at Harper's Ferry in West Virginia, hoping to use its massive arsenal in the struggle to end slavery. Captured and brought to trial at nearby Charleston, Brown was found guilty of treason. One month before his execution, he addressed a courtroom in Charleston, West Virginia. I have, may it please the court, a few words to say. In the first place, I deny everything but what I have all along admitted. The design on my part to free the slaves. I intended certainly to have made a clear thing of that matter as I did last winter when I went into Missouri and there took slaves without the snapping of a gun on either side, moved them through the country and finally left them in Canada. I designed to have done that same thing again on a larger scale. That was all I intended. I never intended murder or treason or destruction of property or to excite or incite the slaves to rebellion or make insurrection. I have another objection, and that is It is unjust that I should suffer such a penalty. Had I interfered 
in the manner which I admit, and which I admit has been fairly proved. Had I so interfered in behalf of the rich, the powerful, the intelligent, the so-called great, or in behalf of any of their friends, either father, mother, brother, sister, wife, or children, or any of that class, and suffered and sacrificed what I have in this interference, it would have been all right. And every man in this courtroom would have deemed it an act worthy of reward rather than punishment. Now, this court acknowledges, I suppose, the validity of the law of God. I see a book kissed here, which I suppose to be the Bible, or at least the New Testament. <laughs> that teaches me that whatsoever I would that men should do to me, I should do even so to them. And it teaches me further to remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. I endeavored to act up to that instruction. Now, I say I am yet too young to understand that God is any respecter of persons. I believe that to have interfered as I have done as I have always freely admitted I have done in behalf of his despised poor, was not wrong, but right. Now, if it is deemed that I, if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood with the blood of my children, and with the blood of millions in this slave country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel, and unjust enactments, I submit, so let it be done.
cares Flowers who cares Flowers who cares Will blow you to pieces Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. 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 Abolition.